Will you pray with me? We ask, O oh Lord, only one thing this day, that the power of your word would come and descend upon us, that the truth of Jesus Christ would dwell within us, that we would hear what you want most for us to do, and by your grace respond in faith. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen. It, it usually comes across as a joke in the movies. Somebody has had a long night and they've just barely gone to bed and then they're sleeping in a darkened room somewhere and somebody walks in and throws open the drapes and the person who's asleep says, ah, oh, and their eyes are stabbed by the light and they can hardly see. God could have done that to all of us, you know. He could have just said, here is my glory, here is my power. It is a power that is unknowable, unsearchable, immense and, and tremendous and uh, will put your senses to flight. Sight, sound, taste, touch. He could have just thrown the light switch on and said, now, see the world through my eyes. Tried it once with Moses. Moses went up on the mountain and Moses was given the law. It was written out on two tablets by the fingers of God. And then Moses came down. And, and every time Moses went up to meet with God and came down the mountain, the people saw the effect of God's presence on Moses shining as a glorious light on the face of Moses. And just the afterglow on Moses' face was so bright that the people said to Moses, look, we love it that you go and speak to God for us, but would you mind putting something over your face until the light wears off? It's too bright to look at. Anybody ever wanted to sleep in a little bit and have somebody throw the light on? Uh, just last night, I got terrified. Judy went to bed a few minutes before I did, and I was reading a couple of things, and as I went into the bedroom, I thought, I can get undressed in the dark and this will be fine. You know, I can get, get into my jammies and, and all. So I just started, it sounded like she was sound asleep. And, and I was fumbling around in the dark and all of a sudden I heard this voice say, hi there. And, and, and it scared me so bad, I told her, this is how I'm going to leave the earth. You're going to do this to me one night and I'm just going to fall over. But we are a world that has needed the light of God for a long, long time. And the light of God has been in our midst for a long, long time now, by human standards. But it's just beginning to dawn on people what this is really all about. That the work and the message of Jesus, which was always there in the Law and the Prophets, this foretelling of this powerful, powerful, witness that we call Jesus. It, it was always there to be seen, but nobody could ever see it because we were stumbling in the dark. In the Christmas season, we began to say the people who walked in darkness have seen now a great light. People who were in deep darkness, on them the light has dawned. And so in this season of Epiphany, 
the season in which God's manifestation has been made on the earth in the person of Jesus, we're going to be looking at the dawning light of Christ. See how it may be uh, coming to us, what God is really up to in the world. But we're going to be giving thanks to God that he didn't just throw open the curtains, that God is a very patient and compelling presence in our lives. So often God is not coercive, but very persuasive in his love for the world. He is patient. He exhibits the, as Paul would say to Timothy, the utmost patience, macrofumia, patience beyond patience. When we are at the end of our rope, God is just getting started. And God will not give up until everyone has had an opportunity to respond, to see, to know what is revealed in the dawning light of Christ. And this morning it begins with a story about Jesus' baptism. We have always had the law. And we have seen in the laws of God the powerful potential of our human existence. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. There's one, one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Parenthetically, that word strength there is not just meant to mean Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff, but it means Everything that your hand touches, that you think belongs to you, your wealth, your witness, your time, your physical living out with your mind and with your soul and with your strength that touches the earth, you shall love the Lord. All of it. And you go down through the sayings that Moses brought down off that mountain. And you see, they're not just a millstone to be hung around the neck of religious people while the non-religious people skip off into their uh, fanciful doings and their parties and their raves and everything else. No, what you see here is a portrait of what God desires for us, a world in which we respect one another, that we understand boundaries, that we don't barge over and take from others that which God has given to them hoping to increase our own status and wealth in the world. We don't bow down to false idols. God does not want us pouring our lives out on things that don't mean anything at the end of time. This is a portrait of God's love for us. How he wishes it were for us. God never intended for religious leadership to just rise up and say, ah, 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 you transgressed one of the commandments, away with you. That wasn't how the law was supposed to be used. The law was meant to be a revelation to us of what God was really desiring for us. Eat the right things. Don't eat junk food. By the way, kosher was just another way of saying, eat the right things, don't eat junk food. It's amazing how many people today could avoid all the non-kosher things, but then they, there they go with chips or with, you know, donuts. Or, uh, did I say donuts? I'm so sorry. Uh, um, and you know what? Donuts taste good. They really do. Oh, man. They used to go up, <laughs> when I was in college, there was the donut hut in Mentone. And, and, and at 10.30 
p.m., they brought all of the apple fritters out of the fryer. And at 10.45, while they were still warm, they dipped them in the sugar, and then they put them on the rack. And at 11 o'clock, you could get them, and they were still warm. And somebody would just go around the dorm gathering up the coins and drive up, and they'd come back with a stack of apple fritters, and you could get one, and it could get you all the way through an, an essay that you were supposed to have written two weeks ago, and you had to turn in the next day. And, you know, God may smile when we do that, just as you're smiling now, but at the end of the day, he'd say, you know, do your homework early, and don't eat that stuff. Don't eat that stuff. We don't hear it when we're 16 or 17 years old, but when we're standing there talking to our cardiologists about the next stress test, say, you know, I probably shouldn't have eaten that stuff. God isn't trying to be mean or to come down heavy on anyone. God is trying to show us a portrait of how he would have us be in the world, in a world that is filled with the same love that God had in mind when he spoke the world into existence. And we couldn't get it. And he sent prophets, and we couldn't get it. And he sent seers and sages and teachers. He sent doctors of the law. He sent people to pour through all of these things. We see in the law of God such potential for us, but we have this love-hate relationship with the law of God because we also know we're never going to do that. When nobody's looking... I know people who make it a practice to stop at a red light, look up and down the street in the middle of the night, and if no one's around, they go through it. I mean, it's just a little thing, and they got to get home. And so they just do it. And we do this again and again and again. I'm out of paper at home, and I need to print something. And there's a half a ream of paper in the copy room at work. And nobody's going to miss a half a ream of paper, and you just put it in the briefcase and take it home, or that box of paper clips, or something else. It's a small thing. It doesn't matter, really. Does it really matter that you just help yourself once in a while? And nobody's around. Nobody can see it. The, the 11th commandment in the United States of America has always been, thou shalt not get caught. That's right. You know it. You know it. And while we know that that 11th commandment nullifies all the other commandments, we continue to practice it more diligently than all the others put together. We just help ourselves a little here and a little here and a little here. And what we don't understand is that our character is involved even in the smallest moment. We are building a legacy of character. And by the time we get to see the cardiologist and talk about the stent, we have built a lifetime of habits. You know, one of the things that comes out of that is we begin to think of ourselves as way more important than everyone else. What I love about the young generations, aside from the fact that I was one, is that their idea of sports these days are things like the X Games and you know, taking a skateboard and jumping off a 32-story building just to see if you can stick the landing. I used to be like that. Oh, oh not on skateboards or anything, I, although my broken bones could attest that I've taken a few risks over the years. 
but I used to, I used to be way less afraid of life. I used to have a, a lot less to lose. I remember going 58 miles an hour down a hill on a bicycle once. I was trying to get to 59. That's what somebody said. What were you thinking? I was thinking 60 was right around the corner. I was just seeing if I could get Well, now in my life, 60 is right around the corner. Wait, it's in my rearview mirror. And I look at the statement from the Board of Pensions, and all of a sudden, I've got something to lose. And I don't take risks anymore. I, I don't take the chances anymore that I used to take as a kid when I thought life was mine for the living. Can you relate? I start to think that I'm way too important. What if something happened to me and the world lost me? What would they do without me? And God's sitting in heaven laughing. <laughs> you watch. They'll, this is what they'll do without you, Pastor Bill. They'll get together and they'll say, man, we're going to miss that for about 10 minutes. And then after the service is over, they're going to go in messenger hall and take a fork full of potato salad, and they're going to start talking about what's next, as they should. And wrapped up in all of that is this idea that God is trying to love us. And so we have a, a love and hate relationship with the laws of God. We see in them what God is getting at, but we can't allow ourselves to get there because we know it's impossible to keep these laws. And so God finally decides, what am I to do with this? He began to whisper to the ears of Isaiah, I'm going to send my servant, the chosen one, the one in whom I am well pleased. I'm going to send him to you. And all of a sudden, there are fewer stars in the eastern sky and it's starting to turn gray. Just a little. He spoke to Isaiah, and Isaiah began to write, this is what it's going to look like when the chosen one of God arrives. He spoke to the psalmist, wrote the second psalm. Here is my chosen. Here is my one. The second psalm starts out with a, a wonderful moment of mirth in the vaults of heaven. Why do the nations conspire against me? Why do the kings plot in vain? As if they could rise up against God and God's elect. <laughs> Here is my elect. Here's the one I have chosen. And the picture is there in the law of God's love. How does God show his love to the world? He doesn't come to the palaces of the world. He doesn't come to the boardrooms of the world. He does not come to the military might of the world. God comes and he gives to us his son, his chosen, born in the filth and the straw of a stable. Because the son of God is not here to save only those who can get to him. He is here to save them all. And knowing that the people in the palaces are going to build a wall to keep the people from the stable out, he starts in the stable and he makes his way across the village. Don't worry. He's going to get to the palace too. No one is going to be left out. But God has to start where everyone is included. What we're really experiencing is that God has taken 
the entire law that he has given to his people and he has immersed it in a dye that will stain it indelibly. That dye has a name, you know. There are only three things that exist forever in the laws of God, faith and hope. Those are two. But in Jesus Christ, what God has stained the world with is love. It's the greatest color God knows how to paint with. Faith and hope abide, yes, but the greatest of these is, is love. And so Isaiah speaks to Matthew, and Matthew speaks to us. Why would Jesus, the sinless one, ever have needed to bow before John to receive a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? He didn't need to repent. But he wasn't there in repentance only. He was there to fulfill the law of God by painting it with love and faithfulness. John, let it go. Get off the rules. Let it be like this, because this is how we fulfill all of God's righteousness. This is what my Father asked me to do, and there is no thing that can be called righteous unless it is the thing that God has asked us to do. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you're doing mental gymnastics and backflips, trying to justify a behavior in your life that you know in your depth is not what God would have you do. Don't, don't race to the 11th commandment and say, so long as nobody else knows about it, I can, I can pull it off. Don't do that anymore. Let it go. Paint it with love. And here's how you will know. Isaiah told it to us. You'll see most people walk down and they'll see a reed that has been broken off by a strong wind or something and it's tipped over and it's leaning over and most of the gardeners and everyone else will take the clippers, clip it, get rid of it. It's broken. It... But the suffering servant of God will not break off a bruised reed. You see a candle that's guttering down to the last flickering bits of its flame. Most people chuck it away and grab something else. But the suffering servant will hang in there with it will use it until the very last of its giftedness has been utilized by God. This means there are no throwaway generations. There are no throwaway people. There's no color of skin that is not of sacred worth to God. It might even mean at the end of the day that Christians have to do a lot more than just differentiate themselves from other world religions. As if to say, well, how does my Christianity compare to your Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or this or that or the other? You know, you know what the suffering servant of God will do with any of those people? There's only one thing. He'll take off his outer garment. He'll wrap a servant's towel around his waist. And he will kneel down at their feet and wash them. This is what the love of God looks like, in case you didn't know. I found out about it through Jesus. And I don't, I'm not here to proselytize to you. I'm just here to tell you this is what the love of God and Jesus looks like. The world needs that right now. 
more than it has ever needed anything. It needs for the church to rise into this dawning light of Christ and stain the world with our love. That's what we need. Hmm. Now, I know there will be people say, but what about, what about this person, or what about that person, or what about the other person, or what about this? Um, it turns out <laughs> that we get to that question second. The first thing that God is going to ask us is, what about you? <laughs> what about you? You need to come on down here now and wash the stain of that old way of doing the law off. Come in here into the waters of baptism and be baptized. Every time I think about my baptism and I wade back into the water in my memory, I end up standing right next to this guy called Jesus. And I hear it. I've done it a million times in my prayer life. Lord, what are you doing here? Couldn't you stand somewhere else? You're not supposed to be in here. This water is filthy, and I helped. What are you doing here? I keep trying to send him away because I don't really want to deal with what he's doing there. And I keep waiting for that moment of judgment as I, as I bow in humility before the Lord and I hear the Lord say, you know what? Let it be so for now. This is how I'm helping you fulfill all righteousness. I am overcome by this love. It undoes me every time. I can't help but be broken open by it. And so are you. And so we slog out of the water and we walk forward while we listen to all the experts in the world who tell us who should be avoided and who should be destroyed and who should be killed and who should be maimed and who should be done away with. We just quietly commit ourselves in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of his Holy Spirit to bending up the bruised reeds, to stoking the fire and the flame, tending the wounds of the wounded, and for God's sake and ours, forgiving everyone in the name of Jesus. Amen.